0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Teach Write, the podcast for first-time instructors, experienced instructors, and anyone else interested in learning how to teach writing. I'm Daniel Anderson, and we're coming to you from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. We have three guests with us today, and I'll let them introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Shelby, and I am a first-year PhD student in English at Chapel
2: Hill. Hi, I'm Madison, and I am also a first-year PhD student here at UNC. And I'm Laura. I am a second-year
3: English PhD student at UNC.
0: Terrific. And our topic today is multimedia. We're going to talk about sonic rhetoric. We can talk about visual rhetoric, any other kinds of rhetoric. We did read one article. It was called How Rhetoric and Composition Described and Defined New Media at the Start of the 21st Century. And one concern that came up in there, not a concern, a question, was really what constitutes writing. I think that's behind some of these conversations about multimedia. So I don't know if you all have initial thoughts when we talk about writing. Does it include these other forms or modes?
3: I mean, it. I think for me depends on the context that you're asking that question in. Um, Because part of Um, Like what I've been thinking about in response to what we've read for today has been um, like specifically concerned with the teaching of writing and this recent kind of very uh, passionate desire that um, a lot of rhetoric scholars have to modernize and to immediately assimilate what we see as all new forms of rhetoric And um, it's not like, like part of my hesitance with uh, immediately adapting definitions of writing to include new forms of rhetoric is that I think that there hasn't been enough scholarship done uh, literally unpacking what new forms of rhetoric are. Um, We can uh, for sure identify something like a tweet as writing or a podcast as writing But, um, for example, like, if you look at old film scholarship, there are a lot of scholars who specifically sat down and theorized what is the lens and what does it do to what you're trying to say in this film? How does the lens interact with uh, the content of the film? Or how does the specific type of film that you use um, alter the content of the film? And with writing... I feel like there's just been a lack of analysis of what is a screen or what is an algorithm and how does that impact uh, what the actual writing is communicating to us. So it's kind of a, like a question in response to a question. But for me, um, I kind of lean more towards saying that, you know, speech is a form of writing and. Um, like com- composed human composed writing is writing but anything else I start to feel like there needs to be more analysis before we expand definitions I don't know how other people feel
1: yeah I think that it helps that Warner noted by the end of her article that new media isn't quite yet defined um, so it does leave more room for speculation kind of like what you're doing right now Um, So when I think of writing, I tend to take on like a more traditional approach. Um, I think of essay writing um, and teaching writing in those traditional ways. And so because Warner noted that it isn't quite defined yet, um, it does make me a bit more hesitant. And I'm not quite sure how to like incorporate um, creative mediums like that into the classroom yet.
2: Yeah, and that's the the end of that was kind of not very satisfying especially because of like the implications of new media and what it means for our students and the future of like communicating and writing it it's just warner was like on the one hand like having no definitions allows for like flexibility and conversations to continue happening but then on the other hand some graduate programs don't really know how to handle these new medias and it kind of leaves people like us who aren't you know very Uh, experienced teachers to make these huge decisions for for our students and it it puts us in a difficult place.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah I did sense a bit of pressure from Warner um, like this unstated pressure that rhetoric and composition instructors or scholars should just hop on the you know with the trends and kind of just adopt um, new media into their writing pedagogy. Um, So yeah again it just reinforced the sense of hesitation in me um, and made me want to also kind of define new media for myself.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing a desire for more theory, but also more pragmatic kind of translation of theory in many ways. And and I think some of that comes with frustration with the arguments for new media. A lot of them have to do with um, expediency or relevancy. So there's this train is on the tracks argument, like the train is already on the tracks. So you have to go do new media. And that kind of um, elides whether it should be on the tracks in the first place. Um, And I think the argument is that culturally, um, we're moving toward communication that focuses on visual and sonic and new media and less on writing Therefore, we'd better get with the program. What What is at stake with, you know, letting culture dictate the writing instruction that takes place at a university?
3: There's like so much at stake. It, it just and it's not like I'm not like a like an anti-technology person or anything. i like more of my frustration with this conversation and how I've seen it play out in academia so far has been like like Shelby said has been the kind of have you heard the good word rhetoric about this where it's like like it's almost like an it's already too late rhetoric or like a oh it's here to stay so like get with it and it's like sure like it it may be here to stay but the thing with a lot of forms of new media and I'm not talking about like podcasts but I'm talking about if you look at like like, media, which was born out of, like, social media or, like, types of media that are associated with specific forms of social media, you're looking at forms of media that were hosted and, like, kind of privately invented by corporations. And that's very different from something like a book or a film, where it's, like, as soon as it's invented, it's for everyone. Um, And I, like... I think that part of what I worry about with like us immediately just being like, oh, this is so great. Let's just start teaching people writing in this way, is that if you teach people writing solely through these new forms of media that are kind of designed to be more entertainment and that are specifically designed to be the most easily consumable things possible, Um you are potentially playing into like a larger cultural shift towards anti-intellectualism and like everything should be easy for me to consume. And also like ongoing problems with that. I'm sure like everybody has noticed about like there being a really big decrease in critical thinking skills and an increase in conspiracy thinking and like radicalism And, like, I feel like if you don't do the really heavy lifting of let's take a very basic environment of, like, analyzing this article and what it's saying and doing the boring thing and just reading, writing and talking about writing uh, or teaching people how to make their own arguments, it like, I kind of worry about the implications for, like, like not to be dramatic, but like larger democracy. I think it plays into a larger problem where people um, are moving more based off of instinct and feeling and
1: not doing the uh, logical heavy lifting. Yeah, I feel like what you're kind of alluding to is this elephant in the room and it's been in the room for a really long time, um, which is, you know, this question of students lacking basic writing skills Mm -hmm. um you know this transition from high school to first year writing um and so this elephant in the room it has been somewhat addressed though in the scholarship um but i feel like it's such a large problem to address that we don't know where to start and so when trends like this come about um they seem very optimistic um you know, so it's, it's tempting to try to address those issues through new trends, like new media, I think, but in a way, it's also kind of ignoring the, the issue of, you know, students lacking basic writing skills. Um, And so we're trying to, like, address those things first. Um, And I don't know if, if you all feel the same way, but I've, I feel like if you just address those things first and you kind of establish a foundation for students first, um, then they can take on, you know, media projects and they can see writing through different mediums or creativity through different mediums like that. And they can form or transform their writing voice um, into like, you know, an audio voice like one of the pieces mentioned. Um, So it's a very like complex process. Um, But I feel like the elephant in the room should be addressed
2: first. I think it's really difficult, too, because I think the social media issue, a lot of students don't just primarily use these like new media uh, resources as just for purely entertainment. Like they're 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 using it for their information. Like Mm -hmm. and so. On the one hand, like, I do think bringing in books and articles and other uh, more traditional forms of writing and more traditional forms of, like, reading and, and obtaining information is really important and important skills. At the same time, like, what is then the responsibility of equipping students' critical thinking skills in these new modes in which that they're interacting with on a daily basis? Like... My students, uh, I've talked about academic discourse communities and, and communities that they engage with, and a lot of them do say that they get their information from social media sources and maybe teaching those skills to communicate effectively in these new mediums, whether or not we agree with their importance to, to our culture is is a reality that we kind of have to wrestle with and maybe we just need to equip them. Uh, Yeah. It's it's a really difficult thing because of how much I do value literature and reading, but I see my students interacting with media in a way that I never did before.
0: Yeah. Um, Can we think through if there are some strategies for doing that critical work with these new media um, modes of writing? So how do you develop critical literacy through new media or social media activities in the classroom? What what are some concrete things people could do?
2: Me personally, and I know we kind of taught, we're distinguishing podcasts from social media. Uh, I'm incorporating podcasts in a way uh, that I'm looking at, a close reading podcast uh, from the London Review of Books where they engage in critical analysis of text, but they do it in this kind of uh you know, verbal podcast medium. And so they're still doing, you know, a written close reading, they're still engaging in research, they're doing all of the, the writing process skills that we want them to know evaluating research, close reading text, but then they're doing it, the end product is a podcast rather than uh, writing a longer form close reading, they'll still do a close reading written assignment, but it's going to be about two to three pages rather than them having, you know, a five to six page close reading. So they're still getting the skills that I would like them to, um, but the, the end product might be something that helps them engage in these newer forms of media. Uh, and then on the social media side, I gave uh, the prologue to uh, this American Life episode where there are teenage girls talking about how they comment on their friends. Uh, photos, and we kind of had a discussion about academic discourse in universities, and then these more cultural discourse communities that we form, and kind of having a critical com- uh, conversation about the realities of social media in our culture.
0: Those those seem like great strategies. Yeah. I do an assignment where I ask students to do qualitative research of social media postings. So you scrape, you know, 100 Instagram postings and then categorize them, and the categorizing can be rhetorical. So you can say which ones are using emotions, are any of them using logic, and by the end of the exercise, hopefully there's some understanding of the way that social media is operating and that emotion is um, much more prevalent than, say, logical appeals. So studying social media itself and writing about that is is one thing I do sometimes.
3: Yeah, I think, um, like, all of this is, like, very much consistent with stuff that I've done in my own class. Like, you know, one of the things that we did for their Unit 1 project was they had to write uh, a popular science article. Um, And part of what we did to lead up to that assignment was looking at popular science articles. And one of the things that uh, we pointed out when we were looking at um, just a sample article was uh, look at the context of this. There are advertisements on this page. So when you're analyzing the communities that surround um, this uh, form of media, um, when you're looking at the context that this genre exists within, like that's something to keep in mind is that um, this is on a platform that makes money through advertisements. Um, And so I think that it's kind of an easier problem to get people thinking or an easier solution, I should say, to get people thinking about those kinds of contexts. Um, I think the like bigger concern is the push to have people like do their composing in like new media forms and like focusing on doing more like creative uh, like a- anything but writing <laughs> kinds of um projects um because that's like something that i've noticed is like a little bit harder to correct in people is when they like they can't figure out how to like even develop their opinion on an issue um because they're kind of used to just getting told what to think um
1: yeah mm mm-hmm. Now you have me thinking about the difference between, you know, researching versus performing. And so currently what my students are doing right now in 105 is writing a literature review on technology um, if they want to focus on a specific technology like social media or AI. Right now they're just learning about those mediums through the research process. And so now it has me thinking of, well, maybe what are some ways that we could incorporate like a medium um, like that into unit three. And so we've been talking a lot about podcasting. And I feel like that would be a good, like low stakes assignment um, to, you know, get real time practice um, with new media, and also get, you know, basic skills, um, basic speaking skills, I should say.
0: Yeah. And for listeners, it's probably important to remind people that the context varies quite a bit. At UNC Chapel Hill, we have a lot of resources. There's media resource centers, and there's a lot of opportunity to do these compositional projects. Studies have found that when it comes to new media, the typical approach is more analytical in that way. So uh, a survey might say, yes, we do new media in our writing class, but we study it, we analyze it, and then we don't produce new media. So that's one dynamic as well. Is, um, and then the question associated with that is, do you need to produce in a certain modality to actually become literate? Can you become literate through just analysis, or do you have to practice uh, in order to learn those modalities?
2: And that's where I feel like incorporating... Uh multimodal or like new media projects into a class where it gets kind of tricky for me is that we're all coming from it from a a more novice standpoint and so it's difficult to determine whether or not they're actually getting something from maybe if uh making like a podcast if the the technology is too difficult for students to use then are they kind of missing out on the actual experience of creating a podcast. And that's kind of where I, the hesitancy for me as an instructor is, is thinking about, are they going to get all that they can get out of it? And like what's then the purpose of using this new media in the classroom? Is it just to teach them how to create a script for this uh, medium and just experiment with podcasting is kind of like a bonus. Um, And so that's kind of where I start getting a little hesitant about incorporating new media in my classrooms.
0: Yeah, the learning curves in the technology create a lot of problems because you only have a limited amount of time. And so if you carve out learning a technology, the balance between that and learning writing or rhetoric, where is the technology rhetorical? Where is it not? So that's a little tricky. Let's see if we can um, respond to this concern about lack of theorization and pragmatic kind of conceptual steps that we can take by actually drilling into one of these modes and thinking about sonic modes. We also did an article by Steph Sarasso, which is done in sound. So the, the instantiation of that writing, if we want to call it writing, is sonic. And that makes me think that the first thing to do to theorize this is move away from ambiguity and uh, slipperiness in just choosing whatever term you want. Um, the one article we read said some people call it multimodal, some people call it multimedia. That, to me, evokes the question of what's the difference between a mode and a medium? So we could try to parse that out a little bit. So if we're thinking about this... Um, sonic article that we read the tale of two soundscapes what's its mode what's its medium and what does that do for our experience of of i guess um taking in that project
1: i'm not quite sure how to answer that question yet but i think i can start to by just explaining my experience with that sort of medium so i thought it was interesting that at least for me, my role changed by partaking in that sort of medium. So I became, instead of an observer, I became more of an actor, almost as if I was in a movie or something. And I started to be very involved in, in what was going on, uh, more attentive. And so I would notice things like based on the type of sounds that were being incorporated, the speaker's tone would also shift with the sounds. Um, And then that caused, like, a general um, emotion in me. Um, And then it created, like, this connection between the speaker or the observer or if you see yourself as an actor... Um so that was like my general experience with it. So yeah, what did you guys think about it? I like is it I mean, are are we sure that it
3: is like multi? Because like to me, I was like this is all just sound, like the like a person's voice is sound and they are incorporating other sounds into it and it's so to me it's like it's basically like um Oh, what are they called? Like you know how NPR like sometimes does like like sound recordings of their articles, and then they got the article underneath. I mean, that's basically what it was to me. Um, and so to me, it's like just like a little teensy tiny mini podcast with a transcript with it, um, and then with some sound effects that are technically a part of that soundscape and transcript. So. um I don't know. Like like to me it seemed kind of just like a like a very normal like sound piece. Um I didn't really I wasn't like bowled over by the use of sound effects though I did appreciate like what they added to the piece and the immersiveness. Um to me those sound effects though were just an extension of the the rhetoric because it is still sound. It it would be different if you were incorporating a three-dimensional object or something like that. Like, um, I've seen museum exhibitions where you engage with a three-dimensional object as you listen to a sound. And that, to me, is very multi. Um, But I don't know. if I wasn't really conceptualizing it as multi, even though, you know, that seems to be what we were supposed
0: to do. So the modes thing, um, let me just put one other idea on the table. What I heard there, Lara, is actually two modes and maybe confusion among modes. So when I think of mode, I think of like a sonic mode. This is going to be a sound-oriented project. But there's also a linguistic mode, which you're talking about because this is speech. So sonic modes can also have uh, adjacent modes like a linguistic mode that is coming through with it as well. So those are the two, but other elements of those sonic modes are not linguistic. They're just um, sonic, for instance, crickets chirping. And I felt like the article actually did more with those non-linguistic sonic modes. Um, That was just my experience of it. I noticed the crickets were quiet when it was uh, suggesting a kind of comfort level with nature. When it was suggesting discomfort with nature, the volume, I believe, of those crickets was turned up. So that sonic modality has a rhetorical strategy, which is something like volume or intensity. So I, I don't know. I mean, this is just a way of trying to theorize this and parse it out into these different pieces. But I'm hearing you know more than one moat actually there
2: yeah there is definitely like an intentionality of like the the non linguistic uh sonic uh sounds i i mean there's there's all these different definitions now that we're also offering in like sonic linguistic uh which would probably be helpful to maybe define and categorize too so that we can even have like conversations like this but i did notice that there was like the different variations and like the levels of the sounds really did add to it. Um, But again, I thought it was like an interesting concept. But maybe it's just like a, a matter of taste, too. Like, I think maybe me personally, I do gravitate more towards text-based uh, essays that are personal like this, and so I, I probably wouldn't actively reach for an audio essay, but uh, But that also is just like a personal taste, too. But I did appreciate kind of uh, creating an embodied experience to uh, show what sound can do uh, and how we can interact with sound uh, and kind of bring uh, the concept of sound more in like. Uh, bring it to be more present in our mind. And I thought that was really effective uh, and it was an effective use of sound.
0: Yeah. Do you all mind if I play a clip? I know Shelby, you may want to jump in, but let me play one of these clips for our listeners to get this sense of embodiment, if it, if it works.
1: I was especially surprised by the physical effects of sound that I began to notice. For the first several months of living in Pittsburgh, I was exhausted my body felt like it was being assaulted by sound. The powerful sonic presence of garbage trucks seemed to shake and rattle through my rib cage. Shrill ambulance cries made my heart race and thought. These repetitive but fleeting encounters with sound in the city left my muscles tense, my nerves fried. I was always on edge.
0: Shelby, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that the sound is a reflection of how the speaker is feeling, and. I wanna say the part that intrigued me was maybe um, af- directly after this, but the sound switches to um, you know, music from her iPod and it's very upbeat, it's happy. And then therefore her experience changes. So those were just some of the initial observations that I made. Um, and, like, the effect that that the sound had on the way that I was feeling as well.
0: Yeah, and I like the way that um, they talk about the embodied nature of this sonic experience, like it actually had impact physically in some ways, and that makes me think that our theorization can add another complication to this idea of modes, which is the modality in which they are experienced. So there can be a linguistic mode that I experience through my eyes, but I could also experience it through my ears, and not even just through my ears, but through you know the uh, sound waves penetrating my body in some way. So we've got these modes, and they're really complicated, and then we also have these physical modalities in which we're processing them in some ways.
2: I think that also like lends to like maybe what multimodal projects can provide uh, because it takes this concept of embodied experience and allows the listener to have like a very concrete example of what like an embodied experience through sound is. It's like a very, uh, at least for me, I've experienced that, that feeling of being overwhelmed by sound and kind of seeing it articulated through a personal story and then also seeing it, you know, illustrated physically through like sound. I thought that was a really interesting way to make that concept uh, more accessible um, or just even a different way of talking about embodied
0: experience. Yeah. Yeah. I know we've um, almost run out of time, so maybe we can just capture a few more of these moving pieces for another episode or for uh, someone's scholarly project to work on these different modes. There's visual, there's sonic, there's also linguistic. Then there's the physical ways we experience them, and I think those overlap with mediums, but we haven't really talked about mediums, so if we're taking this in as an MP3 file, Um, but do we have our headphones on? Is the medium a channel through which we're processing it? Or if I'm walking through the environment of Pittsburgh and the ambulance goes by, is the medium just the air that the sound is coming through? So there's a lot of complications there. And then uh, kind of materiality that maybe needs to be factored in as well. So words are kind of the material for linguistic modes and you can arrange them and move them around but when the words become delivered through a sonic mode or taken in orally, then they have a different kind of materiality like we're speaking into these microphones if we change our distance it's going to change the, the experience and all of that so lots and lots of moving pieces to still unpack and it makes me understand why these articles are a little bit challenging at the end of the day, because I don't think this stuff has been theorized in in, in a lot of ways or not in pragmatic ways. Well, what else should listeners know about uh, multimodality then as they prepare to go into the classroom?
1: I think the main takeaway may be just that, that because it's not well-defined yet, um, it's kind of to you to, you know, maybe explore it, do, you know, some initial searching, and maybe figure out what it means for you, or maybe how you define it, may want to incorporate it into your
2: classroom? I guess maybe even when approaching wanting to incorporate new media, maybe instead of trying to put our outcomes that we want our students to have trying to force them in a new media project, maybe starting first from our outcomes and trying to think of, well, what kind of new media project would fulfill these outcomes that I want my students to have, which would maybe make it a little bit more writing focused, uh, would would be maybe a good place to start.
0: Yeah, I like that. And I think that's a helpful reminder, um, thinking of Lara's comments as well, of not being so prescriptive, Uh, maybe Still thinking through students should have some agency in how all of these decisions get made, not just culture driving this and not just our own kind of desires in some ways. Well, thank you, everyone. I really appreciated the conversation and um, we'll have another episode next week.